How many of you travel outside of the state of Indiana? I mean, you're planning on traveling at some point in your life outside of the state of Indiana. Okay, great. Well, then this is perfect because I want to help you out. I'm here for you. Okay, so there's a couple things you need to know depending on which state, and I'm sorry, I'm not covering every state, but there's some things you need to know so to make sure you don't break the law. Okay, I read this in an article, actually literally this morning, all right? So just so you know, and I'll, I'll actually start with Indiana, just so you know this. In Indiana, it is illegal to catch fish with your hands. I know, I've been doing it for years. Like, that's how I feed my family. You know, just go out to the creek. That's not that quick, but I can't do it. It's illegal. You go to prison, all right? If you're going to Kansas, if you are over the age of 14, you are not allowed to play on the playground set. It is illegal. Do not do it. Anybody going to Alabama this year? Okay. Well, if you ever do go to Alabama... You need to know this. It is illegal to dress like clergy if you're not clergy. So no blue shirts, no jeans, okay, no boots if you're going to Alabama because I'm clergy, okay, and you'd be dressing like me, and it's illegal. Arkan this is true. Look these up if you don't believe me. Arkansas. You cannot beep your car horn after 9 p.m. at a sandwich shop. <laughs> Listen, you want to go to a coffee shop, you beep it all night. But don't you dare go to a sandwich shop and beep your horn after 9 p.m. It's illegal. God's law. Follow it. Man's law. California. No, I'm going to save that one. That's my favorite. I'm going to save it for last. All right, Georgia. <laughs> it is illegal to allow your chickens to cross the street. That's why you never hear in Georgia the choke. Why did the Chris, uh, uh, Christian. <laughs> why did the chicken cross the road? Because in Georgia, like, they don't. It's illegal. You'll get arrested, right? One more, my favorite of all, anybody going to California anytime soon? Okay, all right, listen. My guess is you're probably, because these are really popular today in California, if you're going to California, the one hand, all right, and you do go to a frog jumping contest, because who doesn't go to those? It's illegal to eat frogs that have died in frog jumping contests. Okay, don't do it. You want to eat dead frogs, you can. Just if they better not have been in a frog jumping contest. Okay, there you go. You're welcome. All right, there's some laws if you're going to any of those states. Okay, now here's my point. These laws maybe had a purpose at some point in that state's history. But today, of course, they're irrelevant. And some of them uh, are... <laughs> I'm sure, violated by people who don't even know that these laws exist. And you know, the Old Testament law had a purpose when they were given to the nation of Israel. 
We looked at that the first week of this series a couple weeks ago, but many of the specific laws of the Old Testament are not intended for us to still be obeyed today. For instance, we can wear clothes that have polyester material in them, and we can eat bacon if we want, and all God's people said, amen. amen. But the Ten Commandments, which were all repeated in the New Testament, though written 3,500 years ago, are still relevant for our lives today. And yet many people no longer remember what they are and have no problem violating them. This series... And really, this is the first week where we dive into the actual commandments. This, this series is about recapturing the vision God had for these commandments. A, a vision when they become near and dear to our hearts, to the point that we are committed to obeying them, will produce a deeper and more, more profound love for God and others. That was the intended purpose, and still is, of the Ten Commandments. In many ways, you could call the Ten Commandments love rules. Rules to better love God and others. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And as you do, let me give you just a little bit of background as you turn. Um, about a month ago, we looked at Exodus 32. So if you're newer to the church, we did a series, an eight-week series through Exodus. You can go back on our web and app, and you can listen to those if you want to. But about a month ago, we looked at Exodus 32, where Moses uh, was, he had received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And while he was doing that, while he was up in the mountain with God, the people that God had miraculously brought out of the Egyptian slavery were creating gods for themselves because God and Moses was taking too long. And they told Aaron in verse 1 of, of chapter 32, stay in 20, I got these verses up here, up, make us gods who shall go before us. Well, Aaron wimps out and does it. He makes a golden calf. And then the people proclaim in verse 4, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, how crazy and silly is that? How quickly Moses and God became yesterday's news. Aaron, aware of his grave mistake, tries to lessen the sinfulness of the situation. Verse 5 says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be the feast to the Lord. In other words, Aaron built an altar to the Lord, literally in front of the idol that the people had made. He then made sure to worship God first before the people bowed to their idol. I know it seems silly, but I want to challenge us today. Are we sure that we don't do the same thing? We can worship God on Sunday, but bow to earthly idols on Monday. The people still acknowledged God, just as a majority of people in America still do. The problem was what Aaron and the people didn't do. They didn't destroy the idol. Moses did, though. <laughs> says in verse 20 of chapter 32, he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. 
The story is a great reminder that idols in our lives will ultimately leave a bitter taste. (laughs) Not to mention they can have deadly consequences. 3,000 Israelites were killed that day by bowing a knee to their man-made gods. It's no coincidence that God begins the list of 10 commandments by addressing the issue of idolatry. Martin Luther said, you cannot break any of the other commandments without first breaking this one. It's important this morning for us to understand as we begin this series together, diving into the commandments, that worshiping idols is not a issue, it is the issue. To put it another way, sin is the fruit, but idolatry is the root. Would you say that with me? Sin is the? Sin is the? But idolatry is the? Sin is the? But idolatry is the? Imagine having a consistent cough for months, and so you finally see a doctor. Sadly, the doctor diagnoses you with lung cancer. But instead of telling you because he's afraid it will make you sad, he instead just writes you a script for cough medicine. You take the medicine, and sure enough, the cough gets better. You figure everything is okay, but in reality, the cough may have lessened, but you still have cancer. (laughs) You dealt with the symptom, but not the real source of the problem. This can happen in our spiritual life. We can keep trying to deal with symptoms, instead of addressing the real source of our problem. Idolatry is the source of the problem. It was all the way back in the garden. (laughs) They wanted to be like God. That's what Satan tempted them with, idolatry. The different sins we all turn to are an outward symbol or symptoms of the idolatry that exists in our hearts. And maybe, just maybe, uh, today will be a breakthrough for some. You know, I I come in fully expecting spiritual breakthroughs every Sunday. That's why we pray so much during the services. That's why we pray before them. That's why we pray during the week. We, we, We believe that chains can be broken just in our time together. And maybe, just maybe today, there will be a breakthrough for some. It could be time to get to the root of the issue to go after the idols of the heart that may be leading to some unhealthy habits in our lives, in our relationships. All right, let's look at the first two commandments today, verses one through six. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below, below, uh, beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God am a what? A jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
There are over a thousand verses in the Bible addressing idolatry. 50 of the laws just in the first five books of the Bible are directed towards idolatry. In Judaism, idolatry was one of only four sins to which the death penalty was attached. Idolatry is not a issue. It is the issue. God is crystal clear. Have no other gods. Make no carved images that you worship and serve. And you might say, well, I don't make carved images. You know what? The truth of the matter, I really believe this. Some people this afternoon are going to bow and worship the pigskin. Now, I mean, I mean, like for some of us, we enjoy it. We like to watch it. But I'm serious. Some people are so obsessed with it. They'll bet money on it. They'll risk, they'll risk money on it. They will literally, their whole countenance will change if their team loses. I mean, they're so obsessed with it that it's affecting even how ten, spending time with their family. I mean, listen, even football can become an idol. I'm not saying don't watch football. I don't like football. I like to watch football. I was really good through sixth grade when it was flag football. Then I got in seventh grade, and everyone grew, and I didn't. And the first practice, I was a hot shot. I was like really good at Concord West Side. Go Wildcats. <laughs> Woo! One? Really? Just one? Two? Uh, did you see my picture in the Hall of Fame? There, the flag football is extraordinaire. You, they took it down. No, they took it down. A seventh grade hit, you know, and like, like, so they, they're like, he tried to put me at safety. I run up to tackle, bounce off of him. Like, yeah, this is not going to work. So that was my career, short-lived football career. But you know what I'm saying? The point I'm making is, is we, it's so easy to look back and say, how silly to make something and then bow and worship it. But we may not make golden calves, but there are things, images, things in our world that we do bow and worship. And so that's what I'm hoping today, that you're open to at least exploring, could that be true in my own heart with some things? I want you to know that the heart behind this, um, God is not threatened, <laughs> but he's God's. You know, talking about jealous God, we'll get to that in a second. God, God is in no way threatened by these gods, okay? He's not but the reason that he starts there and the reason he gives two commandments out of the 10 on this one issue is because God knows the destructive power of idols in our lives and our relationships. Remember this, our gods determine our destiny. Our gods determine our destiny. The psalmist in Psalm 135 verse 18 said this about idols. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. We look like the idols we bow down to. If you bow to the God of money, you will become materialistic and greedy. Bow to the God of sex, you will become a lust-filled person. Bow to the God of food, and you will become unhealthy and possibly obese. I, I could go on and on. Our gods determine our destiny. There's an old folktale about four brothers who each decided to learn a particular skill. And each of them mastered their skill. They met, and after they had mastered their skill, they met up to reveal those skills to each other. 
One brother proclaimed that he could take the bones of an animal and create flesh to go with it. A second brother indicated that he could grow skin on the animal that had the flesh on the bone. The third brother shared that he could create limbs for the animal if he had the flesh, skin, and hair. And the fourth brother proudly announced that he had the ability to breathe life into the animal if its form was complete. The brothers decided to prove their skills with one another, so they went into the jungle and found a bone. And not just any bone, it was a lion's bone. The first brother added flesh to the bone. The second brother added hide and hair to the bone. Third brother grew the limbs of the lion. And the fourth brother gave life to the lion. The lion comes to life, shakes his mane, pounces on the brothers, killing each and every one of them. Then vanishes contently into the jungle, looking for his next victim. The moral of the story People have the capacity to create what can devour them. Can I just say that again? People have the capacity to create what can devour them. Understand this. All gods but God are handmade. But no one made God. God is. God was, God will always be. Can I get an amen from the congregation? He's the only being that had no beginning. The great theologian, the incredible hawk, had a great description of man-made gods in one of the Marvel movies. Puny God. Puny God. That's every God that's not God. Amen? I thought you'd like the Incredible Hawk thing a little better. That's fine. <laughs> Seems so obvious, right? That we should never bow to other gods, and yet each of us have a sin nature, which means this side of heaven, not just you, but me too, have idol-making hearts. Sometimes we need motivation. To avoid our idol making ways. And I believe in Exodus 20 verse 5 and 6. God gives us three motivations for rooting out idols. I want to encourage you to write these things down. Or if you got our app we have these on there as well. And there's a place you can actually take notes if you want to on there as well. But I really want you to remember these three things. That, that really not me. God really provides for us. Three motivations for rooting out Idols. Motivation number one, God is a jealous God. That should be motivation enough, by the way. <laughs> God is a jealous God. God told Moses in verse 5, A, you shall not no bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, the jealousy of God is a hard attribute for us to grasp. 
Why? Because most of the time, our jealousy is not a righteous jealousy. Most of the time, when we see jealousy, most of the time, it's not in a healthy way. And so sometimes we hear about God being a jealous God, and sometimes there's a tension that's hard for us to understand. You see, the difference is most of the time, and there is, there is a righteous jealousy, by the way, but most of the time, let's be honest, it's not the case. Our envy, our, our jealousy isn't righteous. Oftentimes, it's fueled by pride and ego. I remember in the 11th grade, towards the end of my 11th grade, I gave a freshman at the school the honor of dating me. <laughs> I was lowering myself. She was just too cute not to. And so I lowered myself, studly 11th grader that I was, I lowered myself to date a ninth grader. Boy, was she blessed. I tell you. So I was thinking, she just must be over the, over, oh, she just must be so thrilled. And summer hit, and I went over to her house, and she said, hey, let's go for a walk. And I wasn't a Christian yet, so I thought, she wants to make out. <laughs> I'm in. Um, I wasn't a Christian yet. Young people, you can get pregnant kissing. Don't kiss until you're married. Don't test me on it. Just trust me. <laughs> and she didn't want to make out with me. She dumped me. Yeah, me. For a ninth grade boy. And I got so jealous and so angry. And all that year I struggled my junior year struggled with this ninth grade boy. That wasn't a righteous jealousy. It was ego. It was pride. There was nothing holy about my feelings towards her or him. You see, most of the time our jealousy isn't a holy and righteous jealousy. But whenever we see in the Bible, God is a jealous God. Know that it is holy and it is pure and it is right. Why should God be okay with taking second place when he's the creator? Why should God take second place if he's the only one that truly can produce eternal joy, not temporary happiness? I think it's important to understand this too. The word jealous carries the idea of being zealous. We say that with me? The, I, the word Jealous carries the idea of being zealous. Jealous is to be zealous is to be jealous is to be all right. To be jealous is to be zealous. Wrap your heart and soul around this. Like just like there's a lot of like a push today, like a challenge for us. But but just can we just pause and like soak in something and just be spiritually encouraged today. I just want you to just like soak this in, all right? If somehow I've bored you and you fall, fell asleep, like wake up, hear this part, if, it first, if that happened to anyone, okay? You know, you know, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about over there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but just soak this in, seriously, seriously. God is zealous for you. You know what the idea of zealousy is? That's the idea of like, Intense passion. 
Like just, I mean, seriously, soak that in. God, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're his adopted son or daughter, God is zealous for you. And so because he is a, a, a jealous God who won't take second, what's behind that is not that God is somehow intimidated, somehow God feels threatened when you're worshiping these other gods. What's behind the heart of this commandment, these two first two commandments, is that he is zealous for you and he loves you intensely. He loves you deeply. And the reason he comes down so hard on idolatry and the reason, by the way, he is willing to correct you and that correction may even hurt is not rooted in him like an angry lover wanting to strike back. What is rooted in that is his zealousy for you, his deep passion for you, and his desire for you to root realize that all of those other things that you're bowing to can never produce what he can produce in your life. You got to understand the character of God or you'll never understand what's behind these first two commandments. God is zealous. And let me expand that. God is zealous for his glory and our good. Satan, on the other hand, could care less about our well-being. That's why he constantly tempts us with idols. He knows that they can never deliver on their promises to give our lives meaning and hope and joy. He knew exactly what he was doing in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He knew that it it wouldn't actually produce God-likeness or being as great as God. wouldn't produce the things that Adam and Eve eventually thought that it would. And it's true for us today when we bow a knee to whatever that thing is, bow the knee to to our spouse. Sometimes we make our spouse into an idol. We expect them to make us happy. I want you to know something. Your spouse makes a horrible idol. They may be a great person, a wonderful spouse, but they're a horrible idol. Your kids are horrible. Idols, sorry. (laughs) Need to complete, complete that sentence, my bad. Your career, I don't care how high you make it, is a horrible idol. I don't care how, much, how many zeros go after the number in your bank account. I don't care how big the boat is, how fancy it is, or the house, or, or any. They still make horrible idols. At best, they can give you a temporary sense of, of, of value or identity or happiness, but it does not last. And when it doesn't, you start looking for other idols until you realize only a zealous God is worth adoring and worshiping and giving our lives to. I've had people say lately, man, you're doing the church, you're writing, but what are you doing? It's because I want to do everything I can for my Savior until he comes back. I want to end strong. I want everyone to know about who God is and how he can change a sinner like me and a sinner like you. God is zealous for his glory and our good, and that's why he tells us to destroy the idols in our lives. Motivation number two, idolatry negatively impacts those we love. 
In the second half of verse 5, God shares the consequences of bowing to idols. He tells Moses, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. This is actually somewhat of a, of a challenging passage here, and I'm not going to give it justice like it deserves for the sake of time today. But some people see in this a generational curse. Is there a generational curse that's being alluded to here? I personally don't see that. But I will tell you what I see. I believe that the idea is that parenting is ultimately about modeling what matters. Being a neighbor models about is modeling what matters. Like anything we do is to model what matters and who matters. Discipleship is caught more than it's taught. You, you can worship passionately on Sunday, but you go home and, 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 and what your kids see is that you're more passionate about your football team or your career or, or this thing or having that toy than it is about God. They're going to connect those dots. I believe what we bow down to leads our family on a similar path that can affect ongoing generations. That's what I think the idea is there. We pass on a way of life, a way of thinking. We pass on our values to those around us. They have a free will. It doesn't mean even when we do it well that they will necessarily receive, but there's a whole lot of better chance that they will. Allowing idols in our hearts does not only impact our lives, the ramifications of what or who we worship will reach potentially multiple generations. Church, can I just say, it is not about us. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what all the self-help books say. First and foremost, it is not about you. If you think the most important thing in your life is for your own sense of personal fulfillment and happiness, you have bought the lie of the evil one. And it will not, it will not satisfy at the end of the day. And there'll be a path of people hurt and broken because of that selfish way of thinking. If you're new here, this is how I preach. Take it or leave it. <laughs> And by the way, let me say, when I preach, I, I preach at me too. It's, it's, we're in this together. I can be a very selfish person. I, I, I can't think like that. What do I want to do? Well, make me happy. But I'm going to tell you, we are here for the glory and exaltation of God. First and foremost, that's why we're here. Right? And guess what gets thrown in? Joy gets thrown in with that. And a life of meaning and purpose and identity all gets thrown in with it. Now and for eternity. Motivation number three, destroying idols will positively impact those we love. I love that God does this. He doesn't just stick with the negative. Well, you have idols. It's potentially going to hurt future generations of, of, of you know, your kids and their kids' kids and the kids' kids' kids. But he approaches it from the positive too. 
In verse 6, he says, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Aren't you thankful today that God is for us, not against us? God desires to bless our lives. Yes, he may correct us when we sin, but his desire is for our good. Right? Read this verse with me, Romans 8, 28. Some of you probably have it memorized, but read this with me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? God is for you, not against you. And you keep him first. You have the courage to destroy the idols that come up in your life. You will experience the goodness of God unleashed in your life and in your family. God is a God who desires showing steadfast love to thousands. But there is a condition for those who love and obey his commandments. Ignoring the first two of the Ten Commandments can impact the loving relationship God wants to unleash on our lives and the lives we love. Just as idol worship can impact future generations negatively, so can choosing to worship God and God alone impact it positively. Our kids are not perfect. Spend a day with us. We're not perfect. Spend a day with us. But I can honestly stand before you and say this, that what I preach on Sunday my wife and I, with all of our hearts, try to live out on Monday. Not perfectly. And I really believe it's the grace of God first and foremost, but I believe the reason that all of our adult kids are living for Jesus and serving him not because they feel an obligation to, but because they love him and want him is because they saw in our home the joy of following hard after Jesus. And if you thought I was emotional before, now I'm a grandpa. Now I'm really mushy. <laughs> I have no greater joy than that grandchild. And Lord willing, 19 more. <laughs> spread out, spread out between them. My goal is 20. Pray for that. <laughs> yes, it's fun to think about, you know, the fun parts. But, but, but my wife and I's greatest passion is that there are now 20 out of that passionate Christ followers who will raise their kids the same way and their kids. And you know what? I don't care if I don't sell a single book. And honestly, if this church doesn't do what I think it can do and Hopefully does. But if I stand before my maker, knowing that I had some part in all of my kids loving Jesus, the future generations of Tysus loving Jesus, I'll take it. But that comes when what we do on Monday reflects what we're amening to on Sunday. Because at the end of the day, life with God provides. These are the two destinies, friends. A life with God that provides or a life with gods that disappoint. 
A life with God produces a joyful, abundant life. Life with God's may bring temporary satisfaction, but ultimately disappoints with empty promises that it cannot deliver on. Satan sells us on lies, just like he did with Eve. He gets us believing that something other than God can fill the heart with hope and happiness. George Foreman was the most feared man in boxing during the 70s. He destroyed everyone in his path. Most boxing experts thought he would do the same when he fought Muhammad Ali in the Rumble in the Jungle in 1974. Now, some of you know George Foreman as a round, <laughs> lovable guy who makes hamburger machines or whatever you call those things. The grill. But go back to the early 70s, like 70 to like 73, and watch him fight. He was ferocious. It was, it's actually scary. Like you think like he's going to literally kill someone in the ring. And we, you know, if you're into boxing or even if you're not, most have heard of Muhammad Ali. Like, but in 1974, Everyone thought, he's crazy. George Foreman's going to destroy Muhammad Ali. I mean, he was on top of the world, Foreman. However, Muhammad Ali employed what became known as the rope-a-dope strategy, in which he basically leaned on the ropes and absorbed Foreman's punches until Foreman wore himself out. And in the eighth round, after eight rounds of just pummeling on Muhammad Ali, Foreman was completely gassed, and Ali then, Ali then threw a flurry of punches that knocked Foreman down, too tired to get up to be able to beat the 10th count. It was at that time considered one of the greatest upsets in boxing history. Everyone thought George Foreman was invincible, including George Foreman. Many years later, in a USA Today interview, Foreman reflected on that night. He said this. I thought this was so interesting to what we're doing, what we're talking about today. He said, I was, let's see, 38 and 0 when I fought Muhammad Ali. When I lost that fight, I went into a deep, deep depression. Money didn't matter. Purses, rematches, none of that mattered because I thought. I'd lost me, who I am. The foreman ended up fighting for a few more years, but he wasn't the same fighter, and he ultimately retired at the age of 28 years old. In his retirement, he found Jesus Christ and became an ordained minister. His God was no longer money, fame, or boxing. And 10 years after retiring, he came back and shocked the boxing world by becoming the oldest heavyweight champion ever when he knocked out Michael Moore at the age of 45. This gives me hope. I still think I have a shot at the NBA. <laughs> well, thanks for your support. I was serious. I was... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
George Foreman didn't truly find fulfillment in life until after he got rid of the gods he had been living for. That's my point. It's no different with us. Our gods determine our destiny. And it's either a life with God who provides the joy-filled, abundant life, or it's the gods that ultimately will disappoint. And I can't help but think with this many people here today that there are some who are living with some disappointment right now. Because whether you want to acknowledge it as an idol or not, there's something or someone you've put your hope into. And they haven't been able to fill the void that only an ongoing, passionate walk with Jesus can fill. You see, I waited to the end. But I did that on purpose. I, I want to define how I would define an idol to make sure we know if we have them or not. I would say this. Idolatry is anything you are more passionate about than God. Anything that robs or distracts your full devotion to God. You see, it's one thing to point a finger at the nation of Israel. I'm making those golden calves. That's silly. But, but when you think of idolatry that way, can I be honest with you? I've made gods. You know, I made God a god out of ministry. For years, I had an expectation of what ministry, successful, large ministry would do for me and my heart and my sense of identity and security. You know what God does? You destroy it or he will. I literally served in churches bigger than a lot of towns in Indiana. It doesn't matter how big your church gets. It doesn't matter how many books you may sell, if you, if you write books. It doesn't matter how many people think well of you. It doesn't matter how much you've been able to save. At the end of the day, they will all let you down if you put your hope in them. As will your spouse. Your spouse wasn't supposed to make you happy. That's a lie that even Christians believe. You were given a spouse to help you make you holy. And joy comes with it. As I close, here's an idolatry trust for test. I'm not going to take time, but would you write this down? These four, you can put them all up at once. What are you most disappointed with? Now, I go back. Sorry, I forgot I go back to the first one. Sorry, I forgot I made them, whatever, each one a little lighter. What are you most disappointed with? Number two, where do you turn when you're hurt, is it to God or is it to something or someone else? Number three, what do you dream of or are most passionate about? Like when you're just like driving down the road, are you thinking about God? Or is it always 
to staying. And the fourth one, what do you think will truly make you happy? I'm just going to ask you, if you're not sure if there's idols, but maybe I have, maybe I don't, I don't know if it's crossed the line into an idol. All this is for here is a checklist. (laughs) And to ask yourself those four questions. As I wrap it up, in fact, the band can come up here as we close in a song. I know we went a little bit longer this week because we took an extended time to kind of talk about the different groups and serving. So thank you for your patience. As we begin to wrap it up, would you, would you stand with me? I want to share one last thought with you. You know, we ended Exodus, um, the people not crossing into the promised land. And that's how Exodus closes. But if you were to keep reading into the book of Joshua, you realize that second generation was able to enter into the promised land and Joshua and Caleb were the only two from the first generation that were allowed to go into the promised land. And in the very last chapter of the book of Joshua, as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, because I think Joshua still understood that the people still had a tendency to worship the gods of the other cities and nations, which is why that first generation, one of the primary reasons they never got in the promised land, one of the reasons. So as he's dying, they're ready to finally enter the promised land. He says these kind of last words to the nation of Israel. What's interesting is that Joshua focuses on idolatry. And he tells them, give up the gods. (laughs) You're entering the promised land, I'm telling you. Enter the promised land, give up the gods though. I don't care if you've entered the promised land, if you don't give up the gods. Of course, the people said, verse 16 of the last chapter in Joshua, chapter 24, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. (laughs) Okay. Knowing the real nature of the human heart, Joshua gives this closing plea to them in verse 23. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. That, my friends, is the application for us today. Don't don't know what what to do with this stuff and how how, how do I apply this? Joshua does it for us. He tells us the two things. Number one, destroy the gods. Number two, devote your heart to God. We turn to other gods because we don't think God's enough. Come on. Amen? Amen. Be honest. Amen? We turn to other gods because God's not enough. But you can't destroy a God and not fill it with something. Author Tillian Tvenigen, totally butchered it, said, if you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. So friends, and I'm speaking to me, because I have an idol-making heart too. I have the Holy Spirit, but I still have a sin nature, which means I still have an idol-making heart. So this is for all of us. This week, how are we going to destroy the gods? And how instead are we going to orient our life around truly being devoted 
to a passionate, loving walk with God. Let him fill you in the ways that no God could ever. Amen, friends? Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your patience with us. I know that I have made idols, even though I know you are the only one worth bowing to. Thank you for correcting me, even when it hurt. Thank you for correcting each of us in those moments. But Father, may we destroy the gods. May we leave He'll determined in 2024, we are going to serve no other God but you. We will not bow a knee this year to any but you. For your glory and our good, in the name of Jesus, all of God, people said, Amen. Amen.